Welcome to the P4C podcast. We are excited to reshare with you the last 13 years of teaching through God's Word at Passion for Christ Summit. Each week, the P4C podcast delivers rich truths for your life, and we know you will be blessed. Our current series is from P4C 2016, Truth, Defending Your Faith in a Secular Age. We now join Charles Cavanaugh for today's message. We hope you are encouraged and challenged. You uh, are, each one of you, is um, a gift to us uh, to see you here. Eight years ago, uh, for the first time, we did this, and I remember thinking of what a privilege uh, to get to do something like this, and uh, then to spend a week or part of a week with uh, young singles who know and love Christ and want to follow Him, and uh, all in different backgrounds and uh, different situations, but who, uh, who love the Lord and love God's people. And you will meet people that you've not met before this week and have the privilege of getting to know them and hopefully building friendships that will last over some period of time. Um, and we hope that our family hopes and our staff hopes that we're a part of that. Uh, so you're most welcome. And uh, we are most grateful to have you here. It seems we are surrounded by darkness. Darkness, deceit, and death. And it's moving into our culture and surrounding Christ church like a like a thick, impenetrable fog moving across a marshland, and it seems intimidating. And we get the feeling that this fog will not soon lift. We want, if we are serious about following the Lord and about making Christ known, we want to address it and deliver those trapped by it. But it seems so hard, almost impossible. Our classmates, our fellow workers, neighbors, news people, and newsmakers are all convinced they see clearly and they are oblivious to this cultural, moral, and spiritual malaise. They propose ideas and arguments, often difficult to counter if you tried. And yet we feel the need to propose an alternative, to shine a light for their escape. And yet sometimes, maybe most of the time, we feel so inadequate incapable and ill-prepared to touch the culture around us. So what can we do? What means is there to pierce such darkness and heal such blindness? We have 
a sure word of prophecy. We who know Christ have the one means, the one tool for the task. It is the Word of God. It is absolutely and unquestionably adequate for the task. And tonight, I want us to begin our week together by looking at Hebrews chapter 4, primarily at verses 12 and 13, but also going back into the context. At the end of the message, we'll go back into the context, which is uh, the last part of chapter 3 and then the rest of verse of chapter 4. But, but our text primarily is Hebrews chapter 4, verses 12 and 13. I'll be reading from the King James Version with some alterations. <clears throat> the writer of Hebrews says, For the word of God is quick or living and powerful, and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Neither is there any created thing that is not manifest in his sight. But all things are naked and opened unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. I want us to look closely at this passage and see why. See that and see why the word of God is adequate for every challenge. I want us to think for the next moments, about the adequacy of God's Word. Begin in verse 12, and the verse 12 tells us on the front end something about the living reality of the Word. The living reality of the Word. The King James says the Word of God is quick and powerful. Or more in our vernacular, the Word of God is living and active. If we seek to touch our world, our culture for Christ, we will encounter people with various presuppositions, people with um, different ideas and presuppositions upon which they base those ideas. Often, they don't know or will not face or admit to their presuppositions. People like to think that they're objective, that they see things clear, unfettered, and uninfluenced by personal prejudice. This is folly. This is self-deception. This, this is the height of untruth. Let those of us who know Christ, who know God, and are growing in our knowledge of Him, admit to and embrace these presuppositions, that there is a God, that He has spoken. For the one who comes to God must believe that He is. God who at various times and in various ways spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets has in these last days spoken in a Son, His Son. And that Son is revealed in the Holy Scriptures, the Word of God. Now, what is the testimony 
we have here concerning the Word of God. First, that it is relevant, not relative. The Word of God is relevant, not relative. The Word of God is living and active. We live in a day of moral and ethical relativism. If you're not familiar with that word, and I assume you've heard it, but we mean by that that knowledge is situational and therefore uncertain. Sexuality, marriage, truth, and reality float in a stratosphere of uncertainty where nothing can be nailed down. And this is very convenient for the mind and heart of fallen mankind, who by nature look, looks for philosophical, theological, and moral loopholes, ways out. But the believer has a different starting point, or to use another metaphor, a plumb line, against which all other truth claims or truth denials are to be measured. So when Scripture says of itself, the Word of God is living, it does not mean that it's evolving, and, but that it is a changelessly alive, constant thing. You know, we live in a day, and we could bring into play here uh, people's view of the Constitution. Some, you have two sides of the issue. Some believe the Constitution is a living document. And by a living document, they mean that it changes with the times. It certainly can't be expected for those of us in this day and time, in a postmodern era, with all the different complexities we face in life, to think that we would live by a document that means and says the same thing that was said over 200 years ago, for heaven's sake. Nobody believes that, certainly. But on the other side of the argument are those who say, no, the, the Constitution is not a living document. It is a constant document of law, a statement of law by which every generation must live and to which every generation must submit itself. And so when they say it's living, they mean, uh, those others mean it's evolving. When those say it's constant, they mean it's unchanging and we are tethered to it no matter what. And it's similar in the discussion about the Bible, the Scriptures. Some believe it is evolving, that we apply it differently in each generation. But the Word of God teaches us about itself that it is constant. As Peter tells us readers in 1 Peter 1.23, Having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible, through the living Word of God which endures forever. Paul said to his readers in Philippians, Wherefore, my beloved brethren, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is working in you, willing and doing His good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling and complaining, in order that you may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without cause for rebuke, in the midst of a generation that is crooked and has become perverse and distorted, among whom you shine as lights in the world, what? Holding forth the word of truth, holding fast to the word of truth, holding out the word of truth. This is what we hold. This is what we offer to a relativistic world, the unalterable, irresistible, unassailable word of God, an eternally relevant living word.
The Word of God is relevant, not relative. But the second thing we see in this statement that the Word of God is living and active is that it is reliable, not reactionary. The Word of God is living and active. Chemists create a chemical reaction by combining two substances. I am no chemist. I just looked it up. I just Googled it. But they combine two substances, and when they do, the molecular structure of the substances changes. This happens when you make homemade ice cream. Not to the ice cream so much, but to the stuff around the ice cream, if you've ever made it. Salt is poured on ice, creating a chemical reaction. Your ice cream freezer um, requires energy to make that chemical reaction, that stuff that's in there. It takes energy to make the chemical reaction. So the substance around the freezer takes or borrows from the substance in the container, which is your not-yet ice cream, and removes energy in the form of heat from that substance. Something like what happens in your refrigerator. You may not know this, but your refrigerator doesn't create cold, it removes heat. Well, that's what happens here. This chemical reaction happens. The, the energy is drawn from the substance inside the container in the form of heat. The heat comes out, and the ice cream gets cold. Chemical reaction. And that's our lesson in Introduction to Chemistry and Physics today. But a, a physical reaction, on the other hand, occurs when a car collides with a boulder. Both items experience physical change, the car more than the boulder. Reaction. What is the point of this introduction to chemistry and physics? The point is this. No matter what people may bring to the Word of God, it is not altered. It stands unchangeable and immovable. It is living and active. The living truth of Scripture acts upon others, but is never altered by their arguments, their reactions, or their unbelief. Men and women create a God like themselves, whose word and standard changes. And God says of such people in Psalm 50, verse 21, you thought that I was altogether like you. By that, he means you thought that I'm, I'm changeable. I'm wishy-washy like you. That's what the, the, uh, the Greeks created. was a mythology of gods who acted like humans. But the reliability of God and his word is in its utter unchangeableness. It's, it is effectual, but never affected. Its power is in its reliability, and its reliability is in its ability to affect change in hearts and minds. Saul of Tarsus, later Paul the Apostle, but Saul of Tarsus did all that was in his power to snuff out the Word of God, the Gospel. He resisted and kicked against the active goading of the Gospel 
only to be stricken down on the road to Damascus. His physical sight was temporarily taken, but his spiritual sight given. His mind, heart, and worldview all cataclysmically changed by the living and effectual, effectually active word of God. Of this, you can be certain. God's word will accomplish his purpose. It is irresistibly active. This is the living reality of the word. The word of God is living and active. The second truth I want us to see about the adequacy of God's word is the penetrating activity of the word. The penetrating activity of the word. So the writer of Hebrews says, the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. On the night Christ was betrayed by Judas, some very interesting circumstances took place. One of them is recorded in all four Gospels, but with slightly different details, as is often the case. As the apprehenders of Christ approached, Peter acted to defend his Lord. He carried a large knife or small sword, probably holstered on his back, but easily and quickly accessible for emergency use. Deftly reaching over his shoulder and grabbing the knife by its handle with skill and fluidity, he pulled out the weapon and swiftly swung it towards the head of Malchus, the servant of the high priest. He missed the head, but severed the ear, which Christ mercifully replaced. That knife, or small sword, is the one described in our text. It was light for easy use, Sharp with two edges for effectiveness and often curved so that it achieved maximum destruction, cutting as it entered and as it was withdrawn from its victim. It was a worthy weapon. But the Word of God, though described as such a sword, has, a different, has different results. It is our weapon in the warfare for truth. But the weapons of our warfare are not fleshly, but mighty through God to the pulling down of prison-like fortresses and strongholds. We are destroying arguments and everything exalted against the knowledge of God. And we are taking captive every thought and purpose to obey Christ. We are walking in these fleshly bodies, living life in the physical realm, just like everyone else. But we're not waging war according to the flesh. That is why this passage is so important and why we must understand and apply it because we are not just human beings, any human beings, trying to win a cultural and ideological contest. We are sons of the living God and daughters of the living God with a living and real and active and effectual word of God as our weapon. Now, with that said, what does he say here about the penetrating activity 
of God's Word. Well, first, we see something about the depth of the Word's activity. It is quick, living, and active, and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing apart of soul and spirit. Now, almost all evangelical commentators or scholars agree that this passage is not a proof text, just by the way, for teaching that man is a three-part being. Uh, that's not the point here. And that's not important to our purpose and the purpose of the exposition of this text. What is important is the penetrating activity of God's Word and the depths to which it goes in its active work in the hearts of men and women. And those of us who know Christ know something about that, how the Word of God has penetrated our souls and changed our lives by its penetration. But even the soul and spirit here speaks of the deepest recesses of a person's being. And even materialists, you know, the people who say that all we are is matter, even they can be reached by God's Word. Because whether they believe it or not, they are body and spirit. And whether they believe the truth of God's Word or not, it's still just as active and just as piercing and just as penetrating. Have you ever talked with someone who seemed impenetrable you just couldn't get through their heart was hard and their mind was made up no amount of reasoning was effective no emotional appeal made a difference it was like an impenetrable fortress a rock hard life resistant to God and his truth our response to such a one may vary depending upon our bent, our personality, our level of ability to engage in argument. You may give up. And what's the use? You may ask. This person's hopeless. I'm tired of dealing with a fool. And there is a place, by the way, for not casting your pearl, pearls before swine. Jesus talks about that. There is a place for that, although I'm afraid that uh, if we're not careful, we'll give up before we reach that point, just out of frustration. You may get angry. It's happened to me. Counterproductive. Perhaps the other person has been deft and skillful at turning the argument in his favor or her favor and making you look like the fool. Or maybe you're the one who's gifted at argumentation. And so you're able to swing the discussion and close the mouth of the unsuspecting unbeliever because you're quick-witted and sharp intellectually gifted. Your ability to expose the faulty logic of skepticism, agnosticism, or atheism wins the day. You've won the day. But have you won the soul? Because it is the one who wins souls who is wise. Now any of these things that I've mentioned may have a certain place in our propagation of and discussion of the truth. There's a place for discussion. There's a place for crafting arguments and using reasoning. But only one resource, one weaponry, 
comes with a promise. One weapon comes with a guarantee of its ability to cut through every barrier, destroy every obstacle that unbelief erects. The penetrating activity of God's Word takes it to the depths of a person's being, piercing to the soul. There may be introductory arguments, discussable concepts that we use, but in the end, we must bring the Word of God to bear upon the person because it alone has the ability to pierce the darkness and make the lights come on. The depths of the Word's activity. And then this passage speaks of the discernment of the Word's activity. Piercing even to the dividing apart of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. The surgeon's knife is sharp. He cuts the outer shell of the body in what would otherwise be a dangerous and destructive activity. Its ability, the knife's ability, is in the skill of the surgeon to excise and repair. The surgeon knows not only how to cut, but where to cut. His trained eyes and mind see and discern what action needs to be taken. Then he acts based on thorough training and knowledge of the disease and the body. Gratefully, we're not left to our limited knowledge and ability to deal with those who reject, resist, and rebel against the truth. We may and often do struggle to understand what makes the unbeliever tick. We may feel inadequate in our knowledge of human nature or our insight into the other person's background and personal experiences. Their thought processes may mystify us, and we often find that as a convinced and transformed believer, we can't relate to them. We can't relate to the outlook of the person who suppresses the truth of Christ by his or her unrighteous deeds. Have no fear. Do not be discouraged. Be undaunted in your witness to and for the truth. Because it is the truth itself that does this work. I really am not interested in the level of your ability to discuss and argue. I am interested in your faith in the Word of God. And your use of it. And your trust in God to do His work. The Word of God is the sword of the Spirit. This spiritual weapon discerns and judges thoughts and motives. All decisions and emotions are subject to the penetration and application of the Word of the Spirit, of the sword of the Spirit. You can trust the Word of God. You can draw the sword. You can wield the sword. But it only finds its mark and makes its mark by the irresistible work of the Holy Spirit. And that's where our trust 
and Almighty God comes in and His Word. Thank you for joining us this week. If you have questions about P4C, visit our website at p4csummit.org or you can email us at info at p4csummit.org. We hope you can join us next week on the P4C podcast as we listen to part two of this message. May God bless you as you seek to passionately live for His glory each and every day.